0: Hello and welcome to our FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity world where we're all at home quarantined. We know that working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. FIS is fully functional. Every broker, every office, and every team is ready to help you with pricing, research, and operational assistance. Hello again, and welcome to Castaway, FIS's podcast to keep you in the light in these dark times. Uh, Again, we have returning Alex, our MD of Strategy, Kerry, our Head of Business Development, and Tom, all the way from Singapore again, our Director of Asia. Thank you guys for joining again.
1: Good morning. morning.
0: Um, Kerry, you wanted to start with a, a reiteration of the news we had last week.
1: Yeah, just reminding everyone, we are launching the FIS Live app. This is a real-time pricing app. It also includes historic price charting, uh, live news feeds across all our products, live commentary from our brokers and our analysts, and this is available uh, for a three-month free trial to all of our customers. All the information is available on our website. Just click on the FIS Live tab at the top of the website.
0: Thank you very much. So to mix up this week, instead of going into a general discussion about the macro situation, what we're seeing around the world, I have asked people to bring to the table uh, a news story, which they have, uh, for some reason, picked up on. And let's start with uh, Alex, if we started with
2: your news story. Yours is about holidays and airlines. Well, I think there was more news this morning about TUI uh, looking to make people redundant. B.A. and Virgin have obviously been in the headlines quite a bit. And even Avianca in Colombia, um, I think, has gone bankrupt actually in the last few days. So it seems as though that industry is under extreme pressure. And I'm actually quite surprised there hasn't been a greater degree of intervention from the government considering people's well-being, the emphasis on mindfulness and mental health that has come to light, especially during, this, uh, during these, these dark times. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it as well as hitting the economy. I think there's there's perhaps uh, further things to come if people can't go on holiday within in 2020. You know, people do need that outlet. It, it does. They do need to get away from it all, especially if you live in a big city and, and working in a pressurized environment. So, you know, I'm not entirely sure how this is going to be solved. So, there's, there's more to it than just the the economic um, sort of outcomes of people losing their jobs, as serious as that is. Um, and I think that, that for me, is one that's resonated quite a bit when going through the headlines over the last two or three days. How are we going to get some respite from the the, the last three, four months if we can't go on holiday and the airlines are under serious pressure? Sorry, Scotland,
3: Alex. sorry, sorry Tom. <laughs>
2: sorry. I think you're going to need a passport for that soon as well. <laughs>
0: well. I guess we've seen a lot of that. We've. Uh, I was reading about one of the heads of the airlines saying that they're not going to see the pre virus demand come back until 2023. I mean, that's going to be a huge impact on an industry, which I mean, is one which has a big impact on, on oil in terms of what it's using for, for that and the environmental impact as well as the social impact. So as you say, Alex, this is going to be one sort of incredible situation to unpick and try and get back to normal.
1: Yeah, and when it does come back eventually, one thing that will be interesting is that uh, there will probably be less access to it. A lot of these budget airlines are going to be the first ones to fold. Uh, you know, we may be for a while back to the uh, the old days, if you will, of uh, of national flag carriers being just about the only ones out there transporting people and prices reflective of that.
3: Yeah. Well, Tui, TUI, with their uh, statement today about trying to cut 30% of costs and the job losses, et cetera, said they are going to reinvent the holiday. So let's wait and see what they're going to do. Wait
2: the <laughs> well,
0: draft. Sitting in your front room, with your slippers on, with a big TV <laughs> picture <laughs> of a beach. Uh, there we are. Well, let's move over to Tom then. You also have a a story which isn't necessarily our usual, which we would pick up on, but something which you you wanted to talk about.
3: Yeah, well, I've got to admit, it's uh, it's a few days old. It's actually from last week, but um, interesting nonetheless. Um, Sort of uh, take a Bloomberg article taking a look at uh, the impact on the commodity of football players uh, and how their valuation will have dropped uh, massively due to what's going on in the football markets or the football the, the the football leagues around Europe. Um, so the article basically uh, makes some uh, judgments using KPMG's um, estimates around. What's happened to the valuation of some of the top players in Europe? Um, obviously, assets, uh, asset-wise, players are the biggest asset clubs own. Uh, and for example, if you look at Paris Saint-Germain, one of the big French clubs, uh, their two most valuable players uh, between them have dropped ninety. Their value has dropped by around <laughs> eighty-six million euros um, since the French season was halted. Um, and there's some interesting looks at what will happen to player valuations if seasons are curtailed, like they have been in France. Um, so that the season has been cancelled and won't come back. Um, so, for example, Man City, the most valuable club player-wise in the world, their squad is worth 1.4 billion dollars. Um, they uh, 1. Point, sorry, 1.24 billion euros. They forecast that will drop by some 25% if the uh, Premier League does not restart, so uh, interesting look uh, at uh, player values, which I thought was, uh, was was worth mentioning.
0: Perhaps there's a new market. that FIS is going to launch next. We, we've done air freight. Now we're moving on to player derivatives. So, you can get your swaps on different different types of player, and I'm sure the team here will be interested in clearing that. <laughs> But Kerry, while we move on to your news story, you've been looking at uh, U.S. beverages.
1: Well, yeah, I thought I'd take a lighter or perhaps harder, if you will, approach uh, uh, to this. uh, We all know alcohol sales have been up quite a bit in general during the lockdown, but I thought I'd look at some of the trends within that. I've seen a couple of articles breaking down what those trends are, uh, and they boil down to uh, first uh, quantity over quality. It seems that uh, in the U.S. at least, mid-range brands are taking over. Uh, You're looking at a lot of people buying Jack Daniels and Jim Beam for whiskey, Tito's and Smirnoff for vodka, Salsa and Cuervo for tequila. Uh, We also see that hard liquor has been selling massively more than wine and beer. Uh, Hard liquor sales overall up 75% versus a 66% rise in wine sales and 42% for beer. Uh, and in the UK, tequila sales, at least at Waitrose, uh, jumped 175% year on year in April. So I will leave uh, everyone else to guess what the future implications of that are, but, uh, but some interesting trends we're seeing, that's for sure. Very strange
0: indeed. Uh, what, what has your drink of choice been in lockdown, Kerry?
1: I'm, I'm more of a whiskey man myself. So, uh, so scotch. Is is my drink of choice. Very nice indeed. What about you, Chris?
0: Uh, me, I have invested in a, a friend's gym business. So I've been working way, my way through the um, gym bottles that I purchased to help uh, launch the brand. So that's what I've, thanks,
1: been, uh, I've been on. All in, all in the interest of helping your friend, of
0: course. Exactly, exactly. There's no other reason for it. <laughs> Uh, I have been incredibly boring this week and gone for a news story which was commodity specific to the one that I would normally be talking about. Um, I have got an article from oilprice.com which is talking about uh, oil companies in the US cutting production faster than what was expected. So then we know that we've talked previously about the numbers from the EIA, their uh, energy sector, which has been putting you know double digit million barrel rises on the the crude stocks that they have in the US. And that's been highlighting the real problems that the oil industry has been having with oversupply. But what we're seeing now is, be that because of the price collapse, or people looking at the, the agreement from what's happening with OPEC, which they agreed, this is starting to drop quite significantly. The US saying uh, in the article is saying that they're on track to cut about 1.7 million barrels. Of oil this uh, per day, according to calculations by Reuters. So you're seeing the in from on the prices for Brent and WTI a, a slight recovery again. We were looking at a couple of weeks ago those negative prices on the, the WTI contract. We are seeing a bit of a, a support now. We are hovering around those thirty dollar levels. It just dropped down below those uh, in European trading this morning. But it does seem that that kind of cut or that the increasing Uh, relaxing of lockdown rules and consumption, you're looking at China increasing its imports and economic activity again, will start to bring up those prices. And hopefully for these producers who have really struggled, especially those US companies, which we alluded to in a previous podcast, have been going into administration and have been in serious economic problems, we'll start to see a bit of light at the end of of this tunnel. Um, And that has been reflected this week. The API... Your uh, usual predictors come out the day before we get the official U.S. figures today on a, on a Wednesday have predicted that we're going to see a draw this week, which we've, uh, must be multiple weeks of large builds. And we're going to see a draw this week, which is quite a significant change in the fundamental picture. So that's what I've been reading about this, this week. And you can see that reflected in, in the oil markets that we've seen. And I guess the, the non-story of Saudis cutting another one million barrels somehow out of nowhere thin air, will they ever actually do it or not is another question. But loads of stories coming out now of, of figures of cuts trying to balance this market as other countries start to come out of, of lockdown. So I think it's also quite a good thing to, I don't know if Alex, if you want to add in some stuff on this as well, more of a general picture of what we've seen, because... That oil picture is seeing a kind of turn in the market. But I was looking at some figures this morning about Q1 GDP. Uh, For the UK, we've got negative 2%, France negative 5.8%, Italy minus 4.7%. And look at China, minus 9.8%. For the UK, that's the biggest fall uh, on record since they began in 1997. Uh, And India, again, this morning has announced a $264 billion rescue package for its country. This is a a character of what's happened in Q1, the real serious problems that they've had, especially in Italy, these countries that went into lockdown quite early on, China especially. I don't know whether we're seeing a sense of change in the markets like the oil's had. Uh, I know that I ask you this every
2: week to get your your broad view on what the economic picture is looking like worldwide, but... Well, I believe in the UK, it's two consecutive quarters of negative growth gives us a technical recession. So mm-hmm. we haven't quite got there yet, but it's going to be an absolute miracle if we can avoid it. Um, I've almost got a tiny bit of sympathy for the government in the sense that, you know, it, it, it's, this is a this is a very, very tough situation for them to handle. Um, obviously, furlough has now been extended till October and the, the government is trying to get this country out of the, the gridlock that it seems to be in. Um, and stop the terminal decline in in those economic indicators and figures. How like how they do that? I don't know. I I, I, re- I don't have an answer at this stage, and I think we're going to have to watch over the next couple of months. I think we do ent- te- enter that technical recession, um, and then the challenge is to emerge from that uh, as scar free as possible as a society as well as an economy.
0: So what
3: are they think...
2: moving to? Sorry, Tom. go on.
3: Oh, I was just going to say I think from a UK perspective. Um, the UK only went into lockdown the last week or well, the last two weeks, maybe, of March. Uh, so it's only the last two weeks of Q1 that have contributed to that 2% retraction. They're actually forecasting now a 25% reduction in GDP in Q2. So that uh, technical
1: recession, I think, is a foregone conclusion. Probably <laughs> no. an understatement.
0: <clears throat> so moving on to other markets. I or Tom, let's continue with you. What are we seeing in the iron ore market at the moment? Um, iron ore-wise, it um, continues to, to march uh,
3: upwards, really. Um, the, the 62% contract, the, the liquid contract, uh, the, the trades on SGX uh, is up $6 from last week uh, at around just over 90 bucks a tonne now. Um, and... Um, it's largely driven um, by the supply disruptions that we've talked about um, in other podcasts. So those have been maybe bigger than people had anticipated. Brazil and Australia, which are sort of the two biggest exporters of uh, ore into China, have seen a drop of uh, nearly 3 million uh, tons uh, week on week. Uh, and the maintenance schedule uh, out of Australia in particular is going to curtail some more um, uh, imports uh, into into uh, into China as well, so there's a lot of uh, supply constraints um, on on the iron ore complex at the moment. I think from a China demand perspective, um, China relative to many other countries has got a lot more bullets to use from a stimulus perspective. It's not to say it hasn't put a lot of stimulus in place already, but relative to what some of the other sort of major global economies have had to do already, what China has announced is, you know, falls some way short of that. So China can really up the ante from a stimulus perspective. And I think there's um, some thoughts that that sort of belief that more stimulus will come is propping up the price as well. Um, but if we look to the back of the year and the back of the curve, um the confidence is much much weaker than what we're seeing at the front, and prices are reflecting that. Um, so it's it's a continuation of, of the themes that we've seen before. The price just keeps on going north, much to everyone's disbelief, really. But it's it's sort of it's it's driven primarily by supply constraints that are sort of, but not not by demand.
0: It's a funny kind of mirror image of what's happened in the oil markets where you had all that problem with the virus outbreak happening and everyone on oil just ran away, screaming. And then iron ore has been the one that's been resolute all the way through. And then towards the end of the year, it's the one that's looking the weakest rather than hopeful that things will get better. It's a very odd picture, but it's having a huge impact on the dry FFA market, isn't it, Kerry? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. The cape sized market is collapsing, you no know other word for it. The the spot five TC average fell fifty-three percent last week uh to two thousand eight hundred and ninety-three dollars as of uh when we're recording this podcast. Uh this is related to what Tom just mentioned. Uh Vale's sharp decrease in exports uh starting the week of the fourth of May. Uh really uh sent the prices tumbling uh and and saw a buildup of ships uh heading towards brazil uh Bale actually now says that they are covered for may and they're bidding only six and a half dollars for the june c3 that is the brazil china route even taking into account the incredibly low fuel prices right now that is equivalent of zero dollars on tc um and so, you know, there, there's really not much positive to say about this market in the very short term, except that perhaps rates are falling so swiftly and so low that this will start to of take shape back on the market, uh, that some owners may simply drop anchor and, and once again refuse to, uh, refuse to move for a little while to, uh, to try and help prices stabilize. Um, one other thing to note that we've seen at FIS is... This huge C3 volatility has increased the trading on the C3 voyage route futures contract quite a bit. Uh, last year it traded almost nothing, but this year uh, it's increased uh, actually 3,000 percent up year- on-year in terms of volumes. That's coming from a very low base, but uh, you know it's now moving up over 1% of the volumes of the 5TC average and we're seeing a lot more interest in it as that C3 swings around uh, in such an extreme way uh the Panamax is doing slightly better uh you know the the cape sentiment has been driving it down the last few days, but the grains uh had been holding it up a little bit earlier in the week, and there's still some hope uh that uh that 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 might save the panamaxes uh from quite the same fate that we're seeing on the Cape right now
0: and uh, I know that uh, alex was his news story was on the, on the the airlines and the problems that they've been seeing, but we're still seeing quite a high premium on uh, the F8 rates, aren't we? We
1: are. We are. Um, the China to Europe route, which, as we've discussed many times, is, is driven largely by PPE supplies, uh, plateaued at around a 240% price premium to the average. Uh, China to US continues to climb, actually. Uh, You know, another signal, unfortunately, that it it does not look like the situation in the U.S. is yet under control. Um, Again, this will be driven nearly in in its entirety by medical supplies and PPE gear um, coming out of China. Uh, Airlines have been forecasting that the price will be held up into June, but we are now expecting that capacity could almost double from the current levels by the end of Q2. So that's something to keep in mind. And and it puts even that June forecast into into some jeopardy. Um, The other thing is that we've seen a massive interest in index-linked agreements and floating price contracts now uh, exploding in the past couple of weeks with customers scrambling to try and and sign up to these floating price contracts to fix capacity later in the year, uh, given the extreme volatility we've seen in the first few months of the year.
0: Just picking up on that east-west movement that you are talking about on the air freight, something that's similar uh, in the oil markets or in the gas oil markets that we've seen of note to pick up on is what's happened in the gas oil east-west. So the gas oil east-west is the difference between Singapore gas oil and European gas oil, 10 ppm, and that has almost gone into positive territory. So we've had a situation normally where Singapore prices are priced to a, a significant premium to, to European gas oil prices. But what we've had because of that oversupply in the Singapore area, and this is true of fuel oil as well. We've seen that fuel oil east-west dropped to $18.25, and this morning on the gas oil east-west, we're only at minus one seventy-five. So there's this big influx of of things into that kind of Asian market, or from the air freight we've seen a big export of areas as that has been the the only area in the world which is starting its its economic activity to a, a significant level after coming out of lockdown.
1: That's extraordinary. It's a huge but. movement.
0: So, yeah, the question comes yeah. is at what moment that turns around and at what point the European economies and the U.S. economy coming out of, of lockdown starts to reverse those trends. I guess a lot what we've talked about is trends, differences, uh, unprecedented levels uh, of commodities and things which have changed and, and new flows as areas of the world are just off limits or some countries just going, nope, that's it or problems which have never been a problem before. And people having to use workarounds and different routes come into play. And that is definitely something of interest. And I'm sure that's why we're getting a lot more interest on those index links agreements for air freight. Once you move to that stage, you can then move to a point of hedging, which gives you that ability to lock those prices in without it. Uh, the volatility has been ridiculous. In oil markets, we've talked about previously before, but the air freight market and those other rates in other commodities have been all over the place so that volatility that? has been has been nuts
1: I, and what we're seeing on air freight is perhaps analogous to the to the situation that we saw a decade ago um, on iron ore when you know the financial crisis caused such extreme volatility on the iron ore price that uh, that uh, it ended up breaking the contract system uh, and as the market moved to these floating price supply contracts, uh, the need for hedging emerged and the futures market emerged. So quite an interesting time.
0: Yes, Steve. And I know that we like to have a lighthearted end to our podcasts of late. So Kerry was talking about how uh, liquor sales are up and he left it an open question to whether that was a, a mark of the situation that we have. Uh, and I've done a bit of research and I found some weird economic indicators that you've probably never heard of. So let's start with one, which is at the top of my list. It is called the buttered popcorn index. So this is the concept that because everything is terrible, uh, people will flock to cinemas to see films, to escape from their, their reality of, of a terrible life and the economies in the doldrums. And that is an example, a proof that, uh, during the 2009 recession, the box office post is one of its biggest years, uh, and then after that, after markets got better again, they start saw a falling off of those those levels. So maybe we should have a look at next week at what we've yeah, done, you've, what's you've happened. Been in terms using of, the
3: buttered popcorn index to trade it, buttered popcorn index started. exactly. <laughs> It'd
2: be the opposite way around the fact that so no one can go to anymore. I personally think that's about. a great kernel of information you've given us there. <laughs> I think <laughs> you know, maybe a step further.
1: Oh dear me, I
0: thought there's really? one to one you can't make puns about
1: Extra this time around, I suspect. But yeah,
0: uh, how about another one while we, uh, we finish this off? Uh, the plastic surgery indicator. So
1: <laughs>
0: this one is people stop getting cosmetic surgery as the economy begins to waver. So, as jobs cuts come in, people have less disposable income, uh, people don't want to be taken off work to have these, these operations uh, want to stay in the jobs that they do have. And another proof, again, from the 2009 recession, 2008-2009 recession, plastic surgery revenues in the U.S. declined
1: 9%. Well, that's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> but, I mean, have we got any indicators so far from this, from this recession yet?
0: I think we should something for next week, we should take responsibility uh, for the next, to whether the we next can next actually week. prove it for what's happened, this. although it is not really necessarily an economic recession in the classic sense, uh, global pandemic. And let's finish with one last one, the garbage indicator, or for <laughs> people who live across the Atlantic, the rubbish indicator. Um, GDP should correlate to the amount of rubbish produced. So as you create more things, you will create more rubbish. So as economic activity shrinks, there should be less. So maybe we can look at tons of rubbish produced by countries in years and see if that plays out a bit more. But uh, a 2010 Bloomberg piece uh, by two e- economists uh, economists uh, put the correlation as high as 82% on the rubbish indicator.
1: Once again, that'll be reversible. Surely, as everyone wants to
0: stay at home. Maybe there's a rubbish indicator of the amount of uh, rubbish we talk about on the podcast compared to how
3: much <laughs> we get. <doing> <laughs> well, I'm quite to... Alex's
2: pun. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of one, but it's just, it's difficult with rubbish because sometimes you just have to pick it up as you go along. Um, it's not easy. Lord.
1: <laughs> running with Benny Bill
2: here. Um, uh, and on that note, I think it is
0: time to bin this episode for the week. Yes. Uh, and we shall move on. Thank you, guys, for joining me again. Hopefully everyone will join us next week listening. Uh, but it is an overcast morning uh, in London uh, on Wednesday, the 13th of May. Uh, but thank you all again and join us next week. Thank Thanks you. very much. Thanks, guys.